Welcome to All Angles. This week, I am talking to Michaela Levins. She is a native of Kingston, Jamaica, with a passion for building organizational capacity to create societal change. She joined Equal Justice USA's fundraising team in 2021 to increase and deepen relationships with donors. She's a member of their racial equity leadership team, which guides the 30-year organization in its anti-racism journey. She received her bachelor's degree from Princeton University School of Public and International Affairs and her master's in nonprofit and NGO leadership from the University of Pennsylvania. She is a trustee of Young Audience of New Jersey and Eastern Pennsylvania, which inspires young people and expands their learning through the arts. She serves on the board of the Fergus Simpsons Foundation, a nonprofit operating in rural Jamaica that aims to treasure the past train the future, and transform the small community of Chapelton, Clarendon, where her mom grew up. She lives in... (laughs) (laughs) That's a good word. Okay. Um, Boo. She lives in Hopewell Township, New Jersey, with her husband, three daughters, and 11 chickens. Michaela, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you about criminal justice and social justice. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Yes. All right. So I always like to dive in on with any of my guests. I want to get to know you a little bit more. So obviously your journey starts in Jamaica, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Tell me tell me about your life kind of growing up. How do we get from Jamaica to living in I mean, we're in we're in rural New Jersey. I haven't seen trees in about five <laughs> days. I know. And so and then growing up with like eleven chickens yeah. at this point. So yeah. how do we how do we get here? <laughs> I know, it's a funny story. So yeah, I mean, born and raised in Kingston. Mm-hmm. with no intention of moving mm-hmm. and really things come to a head at the end of high school when I start looking at my interests and I realize it really aligned with a liberal arts education mm-hmm. which at the time you know my parents alma mater University of the West Indies didn't offer yep. and so I reluctantly started looking to see what was available overseas got aligned with a college prep organization got introduced to a number of colleges with really interesting curriculum Mm -hmm. here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my college advisor actually said at the last minute, like, why don't you apply to Princeton? They have great financial aid for international students. And I was like, I feel like that's super nerdy. Didn't Carlton Banks go there from Fresh Prince? Like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, honestly, it was the financial aid that compelled me more than anything. And so I applied, miraculously was admitted. And then went through and it was really amazing. I think things worked out well because I majored in public policy, which Mm -hmm. in high school, I didn't even know was a thing. Like if you'd have told me there's an interdisciplinary field where you can look at, you know, problems through a historic and sociological and economic lens Mm -hmm. and bring all of that to bear with the politics, I'd have been like, what? So Mm -hmm. to have that opportunity was awesome. Very well supported. Excellent, excellent. Just educational opportunity. Um, but after that was planning to go back home and maybe do some grad school in Europe. I don't know. And then had a whole change of heart when I ended up getting married. Mm. So really marriage is what brought me to the U (laughs) S and ironically, my husband just happened to have a job in New Jersey because he's a research scientist. We have a lot of farmer here. Okay. And so he also is not from Jersey. So we're both Mm. transplants and we kind of like it. Fast forward to most recently when we moved into the countryside 
um, an area where people are similar to us. They yes. work in corporate and desk jobs and yeah. then pretend to be farmers. Nice. With a couple chickens. Yeah. And maybe and some trees. That yeah. is what we have. Now, what do you do with your chickens? I mean, do you, yeah. I mean, harvest the eggs, eat yep. those for breakfast? Yep, and that's literally what okay. I did today. Yeah. Okay. So it really, I think it was a culmination of wanting chickens in general. Yeah. And then with the pandemic, some people got into sourdough bread and banana uh-huh. bread and yep. we got into chickens. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, so these are like recent, I mean, yeah. last two years. Got this it. is their first winter. Okay. So I hope they do okay. Yeah. The girls. They were 12, now they're 11, so you know. Looks like they have a kind of cozy home and everything it's else. It's cute. So. They have a good life. Yeah. They're no, living it seem, well. It seems like it. <laughs> so, you know, you have an incredible journey to kind of get here. Mm. What would your younger self not believe about your life today? I think she really would be shocked that I ended up being long-term in a non-profit sector. Mm. I mean, the name alone just sounds like broke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And my younger self was really bent on financial success and having a lot of influence and power. You know, you grew up on an island and I think you think you're either going to be like a have or a have not. And clearly, I was like, I don't want to be broke. No. Um, But, you know, that's what education does. Like Mm -hmm. over time. I started really leaning into wanting to create political change. But as I got more into exposure in that world, Mm -hmm. and even through internships at home, I interned at this organization called the Independent Council for Human Rights in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And the woman who I worked for actually just recently passed away, which was kind of sobering. But just the notion of human rights for everyone, combating things like police brutality, like all of my interests changed to align with that Mm -hmm. in college. And so I felt that working in the nonprofit sector was the best way to effect change. You could do government as well or even private sector, but I felt that this was my niche. And so I've really kind of built my professional home here, which is a shock. Yes. A shock. And I think my young self would also be shocked that I became a mom. Okay. (laughs) And like a super crunchy mom too. As any, I think as any young person, you never think about having, yeah. most young people don't think about having kids. Most right? My husband did. My husband yeah. has always wanted to be a dad, okay. like period. Right. Like he super loves it. I was like, mm, well, uh, we'll see. Yeah. So and I now surprised we're here. myself. Yeah. Now we're here. Yeah. And I kind of like it because I kept going. I have three. So, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> no, you, you must love kids. And you said super crazy. So what would this, what would this, if this was like you're writing your book, right? Let's yeah. say 50 years from now, you know, writing your memoir, you had this amazing yeah. journey through the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. as a fundraising professional what is this chapter that you're in right now yeah you know i was thinking about this question i like it maybe i would call it something cheeky like everything i ever needed to learn i i learned from my ancestors Mm. or something like that that basically says there's nothing new under the sun a lot of what we're learning now and seeing is new and awesome which we'll talk about more people have been doing for centuries millennia Mm -hmm. and we're just kind of coming back to it yeah. And I know in my life, I feel that's true as well. Things I've learned from my parents have seen modeled by grandparents. Like a lot of it is coming to bear now. Yeah. You're not as unique. Like your journey is not as unique as you might think it yeah. is. Yeah. It, most people have cycled through in some way or the other. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And final, final kind of get to know you. What are you still trying to prove to yourself? Oh, that's good. So I think I'm trying to prove that I don't have anything to prove. (laughs) So it's almost like unlearning the habit of Mm. needing to show up in a space and prove yourself. You know, some folks say you have to show your receipts. So you're showing your credentials. Hi, I'm Michaela. I'm very fancy. I'm like really working hard to not do all of that. And even in a new, like a cocktail party or something, Andrew, instead of being like, hi, Andrew, what do you do? I might just say, hey, what have you been thinking about of late? What have you been reading that's really interesting? 
what are the top three like social issues that are really racking your brain right now? Mm-hmm. Because I think you know people have a lot more going on than just their career and credentials, but. Yeah. yeah, I yeah, people are a lot more complex. I like those questions too. I might need to add yeah. that to some Feel of my them. yeah. I might Feel take free. It. Oh, I, I appreciate would be that. Proud. <laughs> I like that. There's a really interesting game you might like too. It's called We're Not Really Strangers. Um, so yeah, so the game actually a lot of these questions, you know, shameless plug for this is a lot of these <laughs> questions were pulled from that game yeah. of it's all about you know, how do you get to know someone on a more on a deeper level? So you have mm-hmm. pieces of perception. There's three mm-hmm. parts. Perception, connection, and reflection. Mm. So perception is, you know, if we're doing the game and stuff, you pull the card Mm -hmm. and um, it's all about how do I perceive you or how do you perceive me just by looking, right? The idea is stranger. So how would we, what do we, what assumptions do we make? Mm -hmm. Connection is how do we connect with these? Mm -hmm. Um, And then finally the reflection, obviously like those thoughts. So really cool. If you YouTube it and everything else, it's Mm -hmm. all... um, it great kind of promo video on it. I like it. Um, I like you can buy it, it on much. Amazon for yeah. twenty five dollars. Right, so. and just in time for the holidays, exactly. so you don't ask the same boring questions. Exactly. I like it. Well, let's dive into our topic today. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about. So, really, you know, with your work on Equal Justice USA, I think you know this provides a big opening for for criminal justice yeah. conversation. Um, so. We're going to be talking about some kind of heavy topics, but I really want just can you define uh, criminal justice for me just Mm. broadly so that way we can kind of fully understand where we're going? Yeah. Yeah. So traditionally, criminal justice is what we talk about when we're referring to a system designed to address criminality Mm -hmm. or harm, a system of punishment usually. Um, So we think that at EJUSA, folks fixate on the question of like who caused the harm? Mm-hmm. And how do we punish them? Yep. And it sounds like almost parental. Like, what did you do? Mm-hmm. And what do you now deserve? And that's kind of traditional criminal justice. So we, yeah. we look at that and we try to problematize it and flip it on its head a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then does criminal justice need to be reformed, right? If we're going to be mm-hmm. talking about this, do you? Know, do you yeah. And then obviously, the, in extension, the organization, do you guys mm-hmm. think it needs to be changed? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the truth of the matter is... And what I love about Equal Justice USA is we always start by building common ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really like my colleagues. As I said, we just had a staff retreat, so I'm yep. feeling very warm and fuzzy towards of course, everybody. Of course, <laughs> It's just under 30 of us, like 27 of us. Yeah. But my colleagues who work deeply in the program space will start off a conversation and ask people to close their eyes and imagine what the safety look like to you. Mm. And without fail, we've never had someone say, more police. It's always things like, being able to run on the street with my kids and not worry, yeah. having my family with me, mm-hmm. not being fearful. For a woman often, a female presenting folks, is walking without like fear of attack, yeah. feeling free to like walk from the gym to your car mm-hmm. and not get harassed. Mm-hmm. Things like that come up. And so Equal Justice USA, you know, we started out in the death penalty movement. So mm-hmm. our organization is 30 years old, but most of that has been spent doing deep work in death penalty spaces mm-hmm. and abolishing and getting death penalty, you know, repealed. And we've had great success there. And we started hearing the same thing from the families of victims and the families of survivors. And it had to do with the need to create a system that encouraged safety that wasn't just punitive. Yeah. And so for us, I think that it really fixates on what does it look like to create a system where there's safety, 
mm-hmm. and there's healing for mm-hmm. harm and then there's accountability to folks who actually perpetrated harm yeah and that can look different so that kind of in a nutshell is what you know we purport is a okay. transformed justice system that makes sense yeah. so kind of diving so 30 years started with the criminal just or sorry with the um death penalty. the death penalty yeah. and everything kind of and i know you just joined the organization but how what kind of success have you seen what were some of the what are some of the goals can you kind of dive in a little bit more on like what what equal justice does with that yeah absolutely so you know it's such a cool organization i actually was drawn to it because one of my friends from grad school works there Mm. and so she would talk about it all the time and as they were increasing in staff um it's something that i just expressed interest in and the time was right this year earlier but essentially equal justice usa started out really wanting to get more states to repeal the death penalty and so a lot of the work was advocacy based um organizing based and we have folks still on our staff who work deeply in that so we've seen success for about i want to say it's 11 different states have either repeal or um state executions and whatnot since the start of that work yeah but as time evolved, I think it was maybe in 2015, between 15 and 17, that we started looking at strategically, what would it look like to expand that? What would it look like to look at transforming the justice system from the bottom up? Yeah. And so then talks about what it would look like to provide support for public safety mm. and folks who want to do reform. Mm-hmm. We can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, so police sure. police traditionally understood, right? Yeah. And what would it look like to empower community members who feel that they have solutions? Mm-hmm. So people who say, we know how to stop crime. Like we know who's, you know, involved in gangs. Yep. We know who's involved in gun violence. And if we are empowered with like the resources to actually organize around that, we can have some good success in our local community. Cause we yep. know these people. These aren't just strangers on a newscast. Yeah. yeah. And these are our cousins, our brothers, our nephews, etc. Yeah. Um, so there's that element. And then there's just the notion of after harm has been done or even when you exist in a super traumatized area, so say you're in an area where there is a lot of gun violence, how are you restoring and helping people kind of move through that healthily? Mm -hmm. You know, mental health has been gaining traction, I think, especially in the pandemic, Yep. talk about it. And so for us, that healing piece is also a key part Mm -hmm. of the whole shebang. So those are kind of the three parts that Equal Justice USA focuses on now in addition to our death penalty work. Okay, I'd love to jump into kind of those three parts. I think they're very interesting on, Mm -hmm. you know, the ways that you can go at. I think the one, most curious, especially because you just mentioned the healing piece, oh, yes. right? Because if I remember from my research that I googled on the internet, um, <laughs> there you look at all three, right? You have yes. the individuals that perpetrated yep. the crime, the individuals yeah. who experienced the crime, and then mm-hmm. the community at large. Yeah. Um, let's start with the first group, the ones who perpetrated the crime. How mm-hmm. how do you recommend? Um, that the system heals those individuals. Yeah, no, that's hard. It's really hard, especially because I think what we found in the space is there are several organizations that will help with reconciliation. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you have organizations that will bring someone who has perpetrated harm with a victim together, Mm -hmm. and they may just have a time of talking and naming Mm -hmm. the harm done. Mm -hmm. And that can be incredibly healing. What you don't often see is that kind of offer made for those who perpetrated violent crime. Mm -hmm. And even when we talk about legislation, if you look closely, a lot of the language focuses on nonviolent crime. Yeah. Uh, Because it's really hard to wrap your head around, how do I 
offer any kind of healing for someone who's murdered my loved one. Yeah. Like I do not want to, you know, help them. Yeah. But you know, what's cool is we had this film and I don't remember the name of the film because it was a limited release, but it focused on a family, a couple families of okay. victims of um, murder. Okay. Did I say that right? So basically their loved ones were murdered. Yes. And then someone was on death row as a result. Mm. And so the focus was what does it feel like to go through this process? And yeah. what we realized is that the families were actually being put through the ringer with regards to the court system. So to actually execute someone, it's like really expensive. Yeah. And so funny enough, we have a huge alignment with the conservative community around that. We mm. have like an arm of our work that focuses on conservatives' concern about the death penalty. Yeah. It's, it's expensive. It's like not efficient government-wise. No. And from a conservative like government standpoint, it's not a good system there. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, most of our support comes from progressives and the notion that, you know, this isn't healing those of us who've lost a loved one. It doesn't bring yeah. the person back. Yep. Um, it doesn't necessarily prevent just the root cause yeah. of what ailed the person who murdered. Yep. Um, so I think ideally we are exploring and doing more and more work to help our municipalities come up with a non-punitive way okay. to like kind of restore that person. Yeah. Does it look like separation sometimes? It might. Does the prison and carceral system need to be the way it is in mm-hmm. terms of being like really bloated, really expensive, not caring or providing any services for folks? You start looking at the private institutions yeah. that are there. So I mean, we could go on that. a whole podcast that's just on that. Whole, yeah, that's not something that we need to dive that's into. An that's an encyclopedia. But yes. that, that, all that stuff, which yes. we, we all can watch a Netflix documentary and catch up on the stuff. There's that piece yep. of our work. And then there's also just very much the grassroots piece of in a community. So for us, we have models. We've mm-hmm. done a lot of work, for example, in Newark, New Jersey, mm-hmm. which is fun because I'm in New Jersey. So I get yeah, to see that's somebody. where I'm staying right now. Yes. So. Oh, Newark is super cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, what does it look like for the city of Newark mm-hmm. to want to be a trauma informed city? Mm. So they came to us and we had conversations and we were supporting um, the current mayor, Asparaka's efforts there. Yeah. In what does that look like? And we were able to be an advisor on their development of an office of violence prevention yeah and so what it literally looks like is money yep. <laughs> it's like a 10 million dollar appropriation yep. first of its kind in the state yep just focused on violence reduction interesting and then a whole office set up just to administer those funds and to take counsel from people in the space yep. to listen to community members to support more grassroots small entities that are doing the work things okay. like you know there's like a street team in newark newark community street yep. team and they're deploying what we call credible messengers yeah. to go and find out like what is kind of a hot-headed situation yeah. that might lead to violence yeah. and you try to cut it off from the past. I mean, it's just so many cool models mm-hmm. of what you can do if you're willing to think outside the box no, that makes of the sense. traditional law enforcement. That makes sense. Yeah. So then um, do you, and this is just from kind of what I know, do you guys recommend to the, you know, the cities that you work with and mm-hmm. everything Almost like a, I think about like Sweden, mm-hmm. and like a Sweden model where they, you know, the when you look at jails or anything else, or mm-hmm. take, kind of taking a step back, you don't want people to go to jail like, yeah. at all, or like you want to obviously reduce that from a community level that that yeah. doesn't happen, but yeah. what does that kind of look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. So for us, what I find a little bit unique about us is we're willing to work on every level. Mm-hmm. So we don't do a lot of prison advising in terms of like the structure of, you know, incarceration, okay. Okay. but we do a lot of partnership with police forces. Mm-hmm. 
So like in Newark, it was interesting because we had a question from one of our funders once and they were like, how do you work with entities that are pro-abolition that are like abolish all police? Yep. And we have like even language about that and just educating our stakeholders on what does it mean when folks say that? Yeah. And then you also work with Newark Police Department. Like yeah. what is that? Yeah. And the response is we are willing to meet folks wherever they are because we really believe there's always going to be common ground. So. Yep. With the police work, it looks like having a trauma program. We call it the Trauma to Trust program. Okay. And typically, you know, COVID notwithstanding, we bring together a group of about 16 folks and they go through two full days of training with psychotherapists and facilitators mm-hmm. who are asking the question like, what is trauma? Yep. What does it look like for you? Typically, about half of the folks in the room are from the police department and half are from the community. Okay. And usually right now it's skewing towards community leaders of some of these, you know, community violence prevention orgs. Um, But I got to sit in on it because, you know, I live here. So I went up to one of our sessions when we got restarted post-COVID. Yeah. And it really is a transformative experience. Um, For perhaps the first time, folks feel like they're being heard by Mm -hmm. a member of the police force Mm -hmm. and vice versa. I mean, I heard some things from police um, officers that were just truly traumatic. Just the reality that when you're on the beat, you can in the morning, you know, be called into a murder scene and have to like physically cover up a dead body and close the eyes while like the child of that person is wailing nearby. For sure. Off a council. And you jump back in your patrol car and you go to another call where maybe it's a domestic violence call and Mm -hmm. you see more traumatic atrocities. And then you might have a third incident where like there's some gang violence on the street and you see someone wounded and you have to get them help. For sure. And then you're a human being. So you go home to your family and your wife and kids. And I saw like grown men breaking down. They're like, that stuff stays with you. Like yeah. people were recounting seeing murders that, you know, happened years ago. Mm-hmm. And just like what it meant to be on a scene when you literally see someone take their last breath. Yeah. And how that, that stays with you. Because mm-hmm. even though you are trained to like embody the uniform and be professional, you also are a human and you recognize when life is lost. Yeah. And I didn't realize that there isn't a ton of formal like trauma therapy offered. No, let alone it's like you have lack of therapy, but yeah. you also have that social of like you know these guys are supposed to be tough, right? Yes. They need to be in there, mm-hmm. men and women mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Because I have I have stories like personal friends who first month on the job she saw a cut up um, child in oh, the back geez. seat of a car, and then she got beat up mace by her own mace and then a cop car stolen oh all in like the first month of oh her on the job i know it, yeah. crazy story and everything um but you have that but then that tough like just be tough like yeah. she you know for example that personal one was she was offered therapy and she's like no i'm okay yeah. like she has to prove herself that's at right. that point same thing for the men yeah. on the force and everything that's Absolutely. healthy to then have yeah. to then go out and you know after 20 years of that like yeah can really mess with you yeah of course because you're human and what was mm-hmm. so cool andrew i mean and this is where i say i'm proud of my colleagues because yeah. i'm telling you and my colleagues who lead this initiative they their job and they are trained to ask these probing questions so you know a cop might say yeah you know but it's cool because at the end of the day like we're there for the community yeah and they're like wait stop what does it mean to be a human in that space like what did you feel mm-hmm. and they basically start drilling in on the feelings that for safety, mm-hmm. honestly, 
these folks are forced to stuff down. Yeah. And the takeaway lesson is at some point you need to be able to express that and grieve yeah. those things. It's just a human instinct. Yeah. And the truth is they they do have some services offered, but I didn't realize that according to these officers, it gets put on your record if yep. like you need psychiatric care and anything that happens between, you know, the police provided therapist mm-hmm. can become a part of your record. So who would want to do that? No, exactly. Like what happens <laughs> could that affect a future career aspiration or anything right. else you don't know exactly okay. exactly let's i want to dive into the other pieces right we talked mm-hmm. about the people who commit the crimes and yeah. those are that what about um what about what do you guys do and kind of what's your stance on the people who got affected by those crimes that yeah. were committed like how do you guys help them yeah that so process? a big part of our ethic and our philosophy is elevating the voices mm-hmm. of people that are affected and what has surprised me perhaps most about my work thus far, these six months, it's been a whirlwind though, Yeah, <laughs> is just how many healing networks and support networks have sprung up in response to gun violence. If you think about all that you see in the news and media, mm-hmm. what's encouraging and people should really be encouraged is that for every incident that you see, there is probably a mom, there's probably a grandma, there's probably a team of men who have decided that enough is enough and they're gonna start something and it's probably super small, may not have an internet presence, but it looks like a support network of some sort or you know, an action network, like we're gonna patrol our streets, Mm -hmm. we're gonna learn what models are out there and replicate. Mm -hmm. And so EJ USA uses what we call the accompaniment model, Mm. where we are looking for those groups and we're pulling them together to first of all, learn from each other. which is like an amazing experience if you can facilitate these healing groups coming together, but then also teaching them some best practices that they just may not have access to. So it's really capacity building, but it's in a special way. So we codified it by calling it our trauma and healing network. If you were to go to our website and just look up that term, you would see some really cool stories, some Mm. videos, some beautiful like, you know, photos. Um, Where for us, it's really important to not present a solution and claim that like we came up with it Mm -hmm. but instead to elevate what's already happening bring light to it with the media but then also like offer more assistance yeah um so i really enjoy working you know occasionally even though i'm in fundraising i also do some assistance to some of these collaborative groups Mm -hmm. and they may have like a grant proposal they're doing and they're like listen can you take a look at this like this is something that is new to us um, but it's really heartening to hear the solutions bubbling up from community. Yeah. And so that's where a lot of healing will take place as yeah. those folks on the ground are equipped to offer healing to their community. They know what's needed. Yeah. Got So then, so to help heal those people that are committed, like you really mm-hmm. turn to the community to yes. do that. So that kind of goes into the next, that last piece is that community mm-hmm. piece. What can communities do to help yeah. um, with, Let's talk about the both groups, right? The ones who mm-hmm. perpetrated crime and the ones who were affected. Yeah. What can communities do? Yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest place that we need to target with yeah. a lot of criminal justice. Exactly. So mm-hmm. here's the funny part. Okay. I mean, funny, not funny, like ironic. Not yeah, funny. I got it's you. not funny at all. Um, <laughs> so as we're doing this deep death penalty work, 20 yes. plus years in the field, yes. we start realizing something. And it is that there are many victims that are also perpetrators. Mm. Their families, there's a huge, if you look at a Venn diagram of those folks, huge overlap. Yeah, That's just a reality. A lot of it has to do with, you know, we're an organization that does believe in systemic racism and oppression, mm-hmm. really driving a lot of these factors. So mm-hmm. when you talk about, you know, 
rates of incarceration and the disproportionate number of people of color and black men mm -hmm. locked up or you talk about like the targets for gun violence and disproportionately people of color like, there's a reason for that that's not yep. accidental yes um at the same time it then stands to reason that victims and those who are perpetrating crime you're gonna have a lot of overlap and so if you look at like on a granular level in communities, it's really sad. You might find like, oh, the person who perpetrated this harm is like actually like so-and-so's cousin. Like yeah. we know them. They're not yeah. just random people off the street. Yeah. Um, and so what it looks like to help healing a community and bringing those folks together is to once again, look for those that want to start at least a conversation. A model that I love is um, New York Community Street Team. Oh yeah, I forgot. I printed off, there was a cool study oh. I'll send you later, but okay. just even like the street teams work, these folks are literally a group of people who come together. Usually someone from the police department will be in the room. Mm -hmm. It was a physical room in a basement. Mm -hmm. And then with the pandemic, it went on Zoom yeah. and they use Facebook Live to stream it. And let me tell you, folks were committed to meeting like every two weeks on the clock. Yeah. EJ USA, one of our program directors, was the facilitator bringing them together. Just talking. It could look like, I'm really upset. We had a couple major like criminal offenses this week on yeah. my block. You know, oh, look, Captain so-and-so is here. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. It might look the other way. It might look once we had our attorney general here, mm -hmm. who is, has since gone on to like, the federal level. He showed up in the virtual room and he was asking them questions mm -hmm. like community. Tell me, like, what do you want to see yeah. funding look like? Where should it go? So having a conversation is going to certainly give rise to some of the solutions we mm -hmm. need to see. But then practically, it may look like a street team that is deployed on the street yeah. so that you're disrupting violence before it happens. Yes. And I'm a firm believer. I'm biased because, you know, I am in fundraising. Yes. But I think we all need to be helping to fund those initiatives. Mm -hmm. um, and it's it's complex. There's a whole other ball of wax. The yes. idea of how do you fund this work? Yep. It, it's so steeped in bias and so steeped in the desire to give it to a large organization that claims to have, we talked about credentials, yeah. the credentialed people. Yeah. And yeah, I have credentials from like fancy schools and mm -hmm. whatnot, but guess what? I have not lived in these communities. I do not inherently know yeah. what it takes to like bring healing. Mm -hmm. Let me ask, we have one of our members, Miss Sharon. Let me sit with Miss Sharon Redding, yeah. whose nephew was murdered mm -hmm. and who has ideas and has been in the work because she's bought in. Like yeah. she's not gonna flake out. Yeah. Because it's her community and it's her literal flesh and blood that's been affected. So it's really powerful. And the more that we elevate that, the more we see the solutions rising up. So we're already right now we're in this exciting phase because we we do want to do data evaluation mm -hmm. to show the world that this is effective and it's not just a feel good thing. And so already preliminary evidence is showing both qualitatively and quantitatively some measures that there's a decrease in violence, decrease in gun violence specifically, mm -hmm. um, decrease in gang activity. Yeah. And so we really want to keep pushing that out nationally, sharing our learnings. Yes. It's a space where we really don't hoard info. Everyone tries to share various conferences, collaboratives, mm -hmm. etc. Of course. So it's good. No, that's interesting. Just thinking about the i mean how important we all know this right how important community is mm -hmm. to reducing violence yes or re in reducing crime in that i watched a funny a funny tiktok that or not really funny <laughs> and very interesting just on tiktok right yeah, yeah. being 26 um but a tiktok about this of where there was a school down in louisiana who had a lot of they were getting in fights a lot like kids oh, like God. high schoolers just getting in fights all the mm -hmm. time 
and people, the parents started having enough. And what you saw was these fathers come in and they had like, I forget what they called, like dad's club or something Mm. where every day the dads would come into the school and basically just like tell everyone to have a good, like as they're entering these kids that come from, you know, homes that, um, you know, you live that, you talk about like they were probably, if they committed a crime, a lot of times they might've had a crime against them as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Homes that just were not suitable for a young person growing up. Yeah. And they came in, just would crack jokes, say, have a good day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it instantly, no fights. Yeah. Like just, they're doing that just by the community and the community just does that. Right. It's not funded or anything, but you talk about the street, um, the street street teams, like Mm -hmm. how important that is. It's just the community kind of doing that self policing on their own at the same time. And think about Andrew. If in that, I think I saw that TikTok. It's adorable. But if you imagine, what the response would have been if the school district said, we need to ramp up policing here. Mm-hmm. We need a larger police presence. Let's make sure that they're armed. Let's bring in metal detectors. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's never necessary yeah. or prudent, but I think that it's become such a knee-jerk reaction in the United States. Mm-hmm. And we're not seeing results. Instead, we're seeing a rise in like school shootings. Yeah. We just had one the other day. Where was that? Was that Minnesota? Uh, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. And then it was weird because here in Central Jersey... We saw echoes, so there was like a rumor of something, like someone. There, like arms. people were getting people. People it's were starting nuts. to rumors yep. and doing all that. Rumors that on sounds, social media. Yeah. One of our school districts shut down for the day. Mm-hmm. Another one was in lockdown. And that's been across the nation after yeah. that and everything. Yeah, like that. We have to do something different. Like I yep. think the bottom line is, I know we're afraid. People are afraid that if you start removing guns or police presence, mm-hmm. that crime will increase. And I think that the question we need to ask is, we have tried that. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten the results we need. Even our police force isn't doing great. Yeah. Like, officers are not healthy and well. Yeah. Communities aren't healthy and well. At what point do we stop and say, we need something radically different? Yeah. I mean, imagine if you could uh, limit, like, reduce the amount of calls that an officer has to do. That's right. Pay them more. So that way, and yeah. that way, and then offer those services. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of that benefit of both. That's right. And then bring in those community members that are actually going to make a difference and, like, improve the lives. Because a lot yeah. of times, just people not knowing, um, not having a, a space to feel wanted. Yes. And everything. And that's why they lash out and do all oh, these things. Oh, it's crimes. a holistic thing. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things I'm excited about, we had so much press coverage for it, but one of our community partners um, is called The Hub okay. Youth and Arts Center in yeah. New York. And they really look at performing arts as a way of unlocking for sure. and speaking to youth yeah. on their level. And they started the first in the nation youth-based trauma recovery center yeah the trauma recovery centers there's a model and there's a way you do it but Mm -hmm. there's never been one exclusively focused on youth till now yeah which of course we're insanely proud of yes of course best is the name of the head of that organization we're like yay but (laughs) i think about it as a hopeful model yep um i think about the fact that newark also is going to be deploying more social workers and so when you know police get a call mm-hmm. and they are able to triage and determine this is something that's more a mental health issue, yeah. like they'll respond accordingly. Because you know you have cops that are friends, so do I. They're not trained to deal with like severe mental health issues, yeah. and so you're putting f- folks in a position where it's it's just a, a lose lose. Yeah, nobody is winning in this situation. Exactly. And so it's like always pushing for that third way. We we are in such a bifurcated society. Everything is polarized. Mm-hmm. We're always like one against the other. Yep. I mean, Equal Justice USA, we have some of the most progressive thinkers. We also have an evangelical manager who's mm-hmm. reaching out to evangelicals. Yes. We have that conservatives concern piece. And we're all coming together to figure out how are we going to re-envision like, mm-hmm. safety, healing, accountability, 
for everybody. Yes, the community has to come together to figure that yep. out. So let's dive into a little bit more about um, justice and how do we define that and everything. Yes, so you guys um, define it as true justice a little bit more. Can you mm-hmm. kind of explain to me what like your 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 definition of true justice is? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it still goes back to that same notion of new criminal justice, true justice being that safety accountability and healing those Mm -hmm. three are kind of our mantra Mm -hmm. and the reason that we simplified it to that is just that like we said a more punitive definition of Mm -hmm. justice where you look for who has harmed and who needs Mm -hmm. to be punished Mm -hmm. hasn't given us the results that we want and instead we've ended up with this really out of control incarceration state we have like a system with the death penalty and other criminal justice systems that are pretty rife with racism and so we recognize that we need to do something differently. Yeah. So just just re-envisioning how we define it yeah. is going to be a lot more productive than simply stating what we want to do away with. Mm. So you'll hear a lot of rhetoric in the space about, you know, we need to decrease police and decrease incarceration, decrease the crime. Mm-hmm. And the question that we often ask is, OK, that's great. What are we going to build up? Yeah. <laughs> like, are we building anything? Yep. And so I'm seeing more folks talking about what are we going to build or restore or proactively create. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. You know, there's a lot of emergent work. There's work that is coming up from, you know, a lot of black and brown writers who have been saying this for a while. Yeah. So we're always clear about the fact that like this is not actually new. The fact that it's being more popularized and yeah. even a voice is new. Yeah. Um, just this year, you know, President Biden has committed, I don't remember how much, $5 billion, I think. Okay. So maybe criminal, I'm sorry, community-based violence intervention mm. work. Um, we haven't seen exactly how that will trickle down yet, but okay. that's huge. Like yeah. that hasn't happened before on a federal level. Mm-hmm. And it's a recognition that there is an element of just acknowledging that yeah. the solution does lie in community. Yeah. Would you want to plug any of those those works and everything that mm-hmm. the black and brown writers are doing that you kind of mentioned? Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. So, you know, I find the work of Marianne Kaba really interesting. Okay. She's more on the abolitionist spectrum of things. And I think that just opening up your mind and reading work that talks about mm-hmm. liberative justice and people freeing themselves, yeah. it kind of loosens up your brain waves, if you will, and mm-hmm. gets you thinking like in a more open sphere. Yeah. I think just, you know, if people are starting out and they're like, this is all sounding very radical and woo-woo. I don't I don't really know what we're gonna talk about. Yeah. <laughs> like you may want to just take it back to basics. You know, Brian Stevenson over at Equal Justice Initiative, yep. which has done a lot of work and there's a cool movie with Michael B. Jordan now like on it. Prime. You can watch that. But you can also just read his book, Just Mercy. Um, Michelle Alexander has written the book based Mm. on the 13th Amendment Mm -hmm. we've all heard of. I always forget the name of it. I remember I was thinking Justice, Just Mercy. I was like, when are we? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Michelle's book. I just wrote it down because I feel like that one, the new Jim Crow, of course, how yes. forget? Mass incarceration in an age of colorblindness. Yes, that was on net. Was that was, was that, a movie on Netflix? Yeah, called Thirteenth. Yes, uh-huh. the Thirteenth. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That. I love that. I love how multifaceted all these concepts are being rolled mm-hmm. out. Not everybody's gonna read a big old book. No, right? I don't read books. I'm gonna be completely <laughs> really? honest. Like, oh no, like I haven't read a book. I haven't read a book since. Ah! Mm. 
I would say college, but it, if I'm going to be honest, I probably spark noted a lot of the books. And that's all right. Because <laughs> Sorry, I think, professors. <laughs> I know, right? Everybody, he apologizes. I know, as, ah! as we're going to talk about Lily Family School with Philanthropy. I know, I know, I know, right? The co-sponsor of yeah. so many of my webinars yes. in my world. But <laughs> I really think the fact that people are releasing films, people mm-hmm. are writing articles, people mm-hmm. are doing TikToks, like however you can get the knowledge. And here's the great thing. The way our world is networked, if you follow any of these authors or thinkers, yep. you will go down a beautiful rabbit hole yep. that will take you into all the media you could ever want to know. Yeah. And it's not to say you're going to you know, believe every single thing these folks say. I think mm-hmm. about Ibram X. Kendi and his work with Stamp from the Beginning, about history of racism, mm-hmm. or how to be an anti-racist. And these all are part and parcel of the same way of thinking about like what does it mean to have a system in place that is going to disadvantage some folks. Mm-hmm. And then what do we need to create that's against that? And that can be yeah. anybody. You don't yeah. have to be a person of color. Um, yeah. You can be anyone interested in just justice yeah. in the United well, States. All these things affect all communities, right? Absolutely. No matter, no matter, you know, rich or poor, yep. you know, the different, like white, black, Mexican, yep. like all that, right? Yeah, it it affects it. everyone. It's yep. across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would love to know kind of what are where are some places that you are seeing change happen? I know we've yeah. talked a lot about Newark and they're really adopting. Are there yes, others yes, yes. others across the country that mm-hmm. have either bought into some of the work that you guys have been doing at Equal Justice USA or maybe other organizations that are doing that? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think about with Equal Justice USA specifically, our work in Baton Rouge, mm-hmm. Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny because we started speaking with the admin over there before the pandemic and the pandemic certainly slowed things down. But I'm always impressed at how folks have continued to just plow ahead. So in Baton Rouge, the mayor there is doing, her name is Mayor Broom, and she wants to create like, um, I think her plan is called a safer, healthier, happier Baton Rouge, something like that. Okay. But essentially, it's a comprehensive plan to yeah. address crime yeah. and violence. Mm-hmm. And it involves a police department. So similarly, we are advising the police department there on different matters. We're also working with Mayor Broom on this plan. Mm-hmm. And then same thing like in Newark, on the grassroots level, there are people who are in our trauma and healing network who mm-hmm. are starting different initiatives, including a street team mm-hmm. to try and patrol the streets of, I think, Eastern Baton Rouge okay. is kind of the region where a lot of that work is happening. Yeah. Um, similarly, we've done things like, you know, it's all about replicability. For Nothing sure. is new under the sun. So what can we do? We can bring folks who are interested from there to see what's happening in Jersey mm. and vice versa. So you're learning from each other. Okay. And so when we raise funds, that's something that we're budgeting in. Like, how do we kind of cross-pollinate what's working? Yeah. Um, so back Baton Rouge, I think, is a place to watch. You know, they just had some funding from, we have the American Recovery Act funding coming mm-hmm. to different municipalities all okay. over the country. And so I know Mayor Broom has earmarked some of that funding. We want her to do more. Yep. Um, and we're looking for, as that funding is trickling down to different city levels mm-hmm. and state levels, we are advocating on our end for different municipalities to fund more of that work. Mm-hmm. Um, another place that we do a lot of work is in California and the state. Okay. So the work is complex because yeah. you hear me talk states and then you hear me talk cities and you yeah. hear me talk federal. Yeah. And, you know, every, all of this is all across the board. It's all across the board. And it's, you know, it's hard to organize, but this is where I think Equal Justice's team has been growing mm-hmm. so we can really meet the need. Yeah. Um, but in California, they have gone down a really significant violence prevention appropriation in their state budget. Mm-hmm. And so once again, the work is sitting on those teams that decide where the money goes. Yeah. 
Um, everything from something so simple, Andrew, when you hear appropriation and million squillion dollars, it's yeah. all blended It's all, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> you start getting amounts that you're just like, yeah, you're like is, does this even exist? I like, how does that, that work? Yeah. How do you spell that? I don't know. But here's the key factor. And this is something for everybody to understand. If you want these grassroots orgs that really know the streets mm-hmm. to get the money, part of our work as Equal Justice USA, because we have access to these legislators and these attorney generals, is advising them on how to structure the grant proposals. Mm. Isn't that funny? Like, it's so simple. But here are some of the things that they do sometimes if they don't know better. They will make it a reimbursement-based grant. Like, hey, Andrew, to heal your community, here's a squillion dollars. We will pay you back next year Uh, for what you expend. Or, hey, if you want money, you need to have a reserve of Mm -hmm. six months operational expenses in the bank. Mm Um, just really difficult financial structures, really difficult tracking requirements. These aren't things that are going to be amenable to a grassroots organization being Mm -hmm. able to deploy and do what they need to do. They don't have a full-time accountant and bookkeeper necessarily. And so what does it look like for us to work on both ends? Well, we're trying to talk to, say, the attorney generals and so forth Mm -hmm. and say, hey, let's look at a realistic way to deploy this funding so that people can actually access it. And then we're working with the community-based folks. We have mm-hmm. a capacity-building arm of our work yep. where we're literally shoring up their ability to write okay. these proposals, report on the money, utilize the money effectively, etc. Yeah. Are you seeing that as part of your job as a fundraiser mm-hmm. for this? Are you guys then mm-hmm. grant? Are you guys at the point where you're granting out money to these other grassroots Ooh, organizations? I would love to. Okay. So it's funny you say that. We don't generally okay. do it. We had one of our more progressive funders actually ask us to experiment with it a couple years yeah. back, and so we were able to grant out some funds in Florida where okay. we do some work as well. Okay. Um, but we don't do it on a large scale. I think that would be super exciting. Yeah. No, and obviously you have to make sure that you know with anything you have to make sure your operating budget is good and so yeah, yeah, and I try mean, to get to that point but I'm but sure there's other organizations as well that kind of will are, fund that there are and we definitely network with different folks as I said because we work in so many different states mm-hmm. different orgs all over yep. but I think about folks like our recently hired executive director her name is Jami Hodge super talented she's a former prosecutor herself who mm-hmm. really believes that to create change you need to like reinvent justice as someone yeah. who was in the midst of it all yes. as a lawyer yes. she's like let me tell you we need a new system <laughs> um, and you can read all her different statements and thoughts and she's been personally affected yeah. by violence yeah. but she talks about one of the ways that we can help bring more visibility and funding is by putting ourselves out there. So mm. you'll see Equal Justice USA making more of an effort to just be more visible. Yeah. Because even though we practice this accompaniment model where we're kind of quietly empowering different community mm-hmm. groups to work, mm-hmm. we now recognize that we need to be more of a big thought partner yeah. and be more in the media and be speaking more about things that we've learned through our 30 years. Yes. Okay, so getting kind of more into that advocacy yeah. part as well. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, for anyone who like is passionate, right? We've talked a lot about criminal justice. There's a lot of organizations mm-hmm. that they can go to, but how how would you recommend that someone gets involved in mm-hmm. in reform? Mm, such a good question. Well, I think first of all, I am apply. I'm gonna shamelessly plug our newsletter. Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> go to ejusa.org and sign up for our newsletter. My comms colleagues would love, love, love to share yeah. with you all the info. We usually do a roundup of like some good articles and just happenings in the space so mm-hmm. that you can see what's going on in your municipality. But I think also just start, you know, going on the internet streets and finding yeah. out what's happening for violence reduction. So search terms are violence reduction 
community-based violence initiatives, anything that looks at violence as a public safety issue. And as you search for those key terms and look and see what's in your locality, Mm -hmm. then literally showing up to conversations. There's so many conversations happening. But as I said, they're not always super formal. Yeah. And they're not necessarily like a large established conference. Mm-hmm. It could just be a monthly roundup with folks concerned about public safety yeah. in your city, in your town. And I'm a huge fan of starting local yeah. versus top down. For but sure. certainly, you know, going to sign up for a newsletter, you're going to get kind of a big global scope yeah. of what's happening. What if you're from like a small community and maybe there's not mm-hmm. some of those um, like crime is still happening there like what how what would some be some steps that you would suggest for someone from a small community that maybe there's not any options or the options they have just aren't what you're looking for i know i know and it can be hard i think leaning into the education piece so even though we don't like to read (laughs) but just educating yourself on some of the lingo like what's happening you know and just beginning to start doing that work that is going to give you personally more of a vocabulary Mm -hmm. and more of a lens for seeing what's Mm. happening in the community. So right now you might just be vaguely aware of like, oh, there's crime. And then as you're reading and understanding the way that crime tends to isolate in certain pockets, then you're going to become aware of, wait a minute, why is it that all the crime I see reported in my community is isolated to these couple streets? Yes. When I look at the demographics, it's like this type of person. It's like a young person, this, you know, background. And then that's going to teach you what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Maybe you will be the one to start some of that work yeah. in the community. Who knows? Exactly. I think that's that's the big thing. What I was hoping that we would kind of get to is like yeah. if you wanted to start it, then yeah. Um, I imagine with grassroots, right? You can just kind of start it, and then you just as any organization kind of starts like, how can you bring people mm-hmm. of like minds or of different minds, but pat like passions yeah. together then at that yeah, point. I think so. And I think, you know, you know, Equal Justice USA's Trauma and Healing Network is mm-hmm. a place for if you are serious about that kind of work, mm-hmm. then absolutely contact okay. us. We have resources. We can connect you with others either in your area or adjacent to say if you're in the tri-state area, someone around there. Yeah. Um, because I do think modeling what's already existing is key. There's yes. no reason to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Okay. Where where are you seeing for you know the larger system? Where are you seeing opportunities for innovation? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. You know, I really think the funding piece is big. I mean, I sound like a broken record, and mm-hmm. I'm biased because I'm a fundraiser. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that there's a lot already happening. Mm-hmm. But money is needed. And when I say money is needed, what I mean is we're seeing community-based organizations that have the structure in place. But because of funding, they've had to literally lay entire staffs off. Mm. I just spoke to one based in New York where people are still working. They're volunteering, Andrew. That's how desperately they want to see the work done. Yeah. And so, of course, once they get funding, people will get back pay. Yes. But like, you know, back pay can't pay a mortgage. Yeah. No, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's hard. And because of that, if I'm working in that space, Mm -hmm. if I have the knowledge and I'm trained to be someone on the street, but I also have to work full time Mm -hmm. to subsidize it, I can't give it the level of you know, just input and energy that it needs. So I think funding is going to be the next big innovation, trying to find a way to get these federal dollars down to the community level. Mm -hmm. So shows you like changing the kind of caveats that they give with that. That's going to be the big thing. Absolutely. 
And final question, we've talked about a lot of organizations, but I think just to help because we've kind of snaked around, like what are some organizations that you would suggest that people get involved in? Obviously Equal Justice mm-hmm. USA. Yay. What are some other what are some <laughs> other ones that you would think are like these are ones that people should be Googling if they're interested in criminal yeah, justice? Reform? Yeah, you know, I think about my Instagram feed and who I follow. <laughs> yeah. I do like Equal Justice Initiative. Okay. I think that it's a different side of the work because mm-hmm. they're more focused on the death penalty work mm-hmm. and not as much the violence reduction piece. Um, the criminal or rather community justice fund i'm gonna look up their name just okay. so i get it right but these are folks that are still doing a lot of grassroots work fund peace collective yep. fund peace brings together different community-based violence intervention mm-hmm. orgs and they are doing that resourcing i was talking about yeah. um and so for example if i want to volunteer to support Yep. Then me showing up at one of those meetings gives mm-hmm. me access to like a ton of different groups mm-hmm. that are already very embedded in the work. Awesome. No, I appreciate you sharing those. So, and I thank you. I thank you for coming in and talking to me about criminal justice and everything else. It's been a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. My last two questions, just those last kind of ones. This is my favorite question to kind of ask mm-hmm. is what's been the best compliment a stranger has ever given you? Oh, that's good. You know, I would say what's funny because I live in the United States now is the compliment about accents. Like mm. usually I'm going about my day and mm-hmm. kind of like running errands and then someone will be like, what an accent. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Because you know what's funny? In my head, I sound pretty American. Yeah. Like, yeah. But like. my ears. But yeah. apparently not. No. No, apparently I can still, still I can still hear the Jamaican <laughs> and stuff. Which but is I such like a it. compliment. Yeah. Because I feel like I sound Americanized. So that's always nice. Because you always want to hold on to your roots and everything. You do. You yeah. also want to be understood. Yeah. <laughs> not have to repeat yourself. Fair. So it's both and. But yes. yeah. Okay. And then final, final thing. If you could give advice to your high school self, what would it be? Oh, I think I would say trust your gut. Hmm. And just begin to trust yourself and your own intuition more. Because I think in high school, I definitely was chasing a lot of academic knowledge, which is good. But there's also a place for intuition and for wisdom that Mm -hmm. you've kind of caught, that Mm -hmm. isn't taught. Um, I think about the way my family moves through the world, my extended family, my mom, my dad, aunties, tons of aunties. Mm -hmm. Just trusting that gut that's been actually cultivated by watching them. I think I would do that more. Perfect. Michaela, thank you so much for the conversation today. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it. All of the things that you mentioned will be linked in the bio. And so we'll make sure that people who are interested can get connected. And hopefully we get a few more people sign up for your guys' newsletter and everything. Maybe some donation dollars coming in. That would be great. Yeah. (laughs) But thank you very much. Thanks, Andrew. Take care.